May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Kuk Audio podcast. I'm DC Puba of Kuk Audio and Kuk Archives, doing our bit to preserve the legacy of Shunju Suzuki and those whose paths cross his. And anything else that comes to mind? I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. So, today uh, we've got a guest, uh, Tim Burkett. We did a podcast with Tim Oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago. So I don't know how long ago. And, um, you know, he was an early Shunyu Suzuki student. Actually, the Los Altos Zendo came out of a little group he started. Uh, and I don't think we get into that here. That was probably in the other podcast. You can, you can read about it on kook.com, going to his page. Um, and uh, because there's an old interview with him where he goes into that. Um, anyway, what he's going to talk about today is his new book, which is Enlightenment is an Accident, Ancient Wisdom and Simple Practices to Make You Accident Prone. Uh, and it's by Tim, and uh, this is his third book, I think. And uh, he did um, he did nothing holy, nothing holy about it, and um, uh, Zen in the Age of Anxiety, nothing holy about it. The Zen of being just who you are. Zen in the Age of Anxiety, Wisdom for Navigating Our... Oh, it cuts it off. Wisdom for Navigating Our Modern Lives. Uh, anyway, Enlightenment is an accident. We had an interesting uh, time with that because he used that phrase in... Um, I guess nothing holy about it. Uh, or was there another book that, because, you know, I'd go over stuff with him. Yeah, I guess it was that book. It might have been Zen in the Age of Anxiety, but I don't know. But anyway, I used that phrase in the book. And um, uh, he wasn't sure where he got it. And I said, well, it's not Suzuki. And uh, uh, Andrew uh, Main got on board with us on that, and uh, he said he'd heard it from Aiken in Hawaii, but he wasn't sure it was original with Aiken. And then I asked John Tarrant and David Weinstein, uh, who studied with uh, Aiken, they remembered him saying it, but they thought... He got it from, they thought maybe 
he got they'd got he'd gotten it from uh, Rajneesh. So um, I called up um, Richard Baker. Probably I didn't call him about this. We were talking about something else, and I told him about it, or I wrote him about it, maybe. And he said, "Yeah, hmm, you know, it's it's got some truth to it, uh, but um, yeah." And he said, "I remember Rajneesh. It was attributed to Rajneesh, but I think Rajneesh got it from someone else." And then Wanda finally found it. Wanda Isle, uh, Tim's. Uh, well, she's getting credited as a co-author in this book. Um, it was uh, Krishnamurti. So it came all the way through that. So um, anyway, uh, Tim likes it, and so it's his. Enlightenment is an accident. Ancient wisdom and simple practices to make you accident-prone. And he's really got good advice. And he's very clear in the podcast, too. So I should let him talk. That's enough for me. So, um, uh, hey, let's, um, you know, just as soon as we've had our pause to meditate, let's give Tim a call. Uh, all right. Very good. Oh, I should add that he's um, uh, he's no longer the abbot of the uh, Minneapolis Zen Meditation Center. He's uh, retired and is a senior teacher. You know, he's still teaching there. Um, okay, here we go. So when you hear the bell, if you're of such a mind, hit pause and meditate or whatever for as long as you wish. And when you're ready to come back, Hit unpause, and we'll be here to hit the bell to end the meditation or whatever, and we'll give Tim Burkett a call. Hi, David. Oh, hi. So, Tim, uh, yeah. uh, you've got a new book out. Yeah, yeah. You're just churning them I out do. one after another, man. This is incredible. It, so, so uh, <laughs> have you gotten it? I mean, being, I know, I know they sent it to you, but they probably sent it to San Francisco or something, right? Well, it can get here. It can get here. I oh. just send it to my American address. Um, uh, we've got a good friend that's coming here uh, oh. in uh, oh. soon. But uh, my my son is coming in. My younger son, Clay, is coming in mid-June. And he can just drop by and pick it up because we have uh, a bodhisattvic uh, friend who checks our mail once a week and does it she she's actually she's the yeah, uh there uh-huh yeah uh, all right good uh but i you know i i i tend to just get kindles uh yeah. 
Oh and, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I see. Well, that's that's probably just as good once you're used to it, huh? Yeah. Um and uh yeah. Well, it it's uh, easier to read. Uh mm. and mm. uh like uh basically reading that doesn't have to do with my work. It's, uh, I do out loud to Katrinka while she's making dinner, uh, or she reads to me in bed at night. We do it that way. I, I do almost no reading, just oh, oh. sitting reading, uh, uh yeah. to, re- it's all, all, all has to do with the work I do. Uh, oh yeah. So well, I'm well. Me, well, me too. You know, I'm very much like that. Although I can't continue forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now you're you're I think three or four years younger than me. I just turned eighty. No, I'm two years younger than you. Oh, two years. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember that you. I thought you were just a kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So tell us about your new book. Well, my new book is called uh, Enlightenment is an Accident, Ancient Wisdom and Practices to Make You Accident Prone. And that's really the the theme. Now, yeah, that's the theme. Uh, There are three parts. The first part is sort of I talk about the settling in phase to settling in to uh, doing some kind of a Buddhist practice, uh, and I talk about being needing to be careful not to do spiritual bypassing. Well, I see so many people doing. You you know that term, right, David? Spiritual uh, bypassing. Oh well, remind me. Oh yeah. Well, the problem with religion, and it's Christianity, Buddhism, Judaism, Muslimism, that we're that we're trying to be good. And it's it's great that we're trying to be good, but we're trying to get somewhere, and we don't like these emotions like shame and anger uh, that come up. So we tend to ignore them and bypass them, and they still get us. And I say in my book, many spiritual and religious organizations completely ignore these, and then I talk about listening to what, what these emotions have to tell us. It's important information, kind of like physical pain is important information. So I spent quite a bit of time talking about that and our shadow side, how we we kind of want to run away from our shadow side. But if we're going to open up to whole being Buddha nature, we have to just embrace those facets that have been left out. And we don't need to do therapy. We can just sit in zazen and and do it, do it, do it. I mean, Suzuki didn't teach me how to do that, but I just did it. I just did it. Yeah. Uh, because sitting facing that wall, you know, you can either fake it or you can really do the work. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So that's the that's the first part, the settling in, what I call the settling in phase. And you know, uh, uh, you know. I mean, it took me a while to be settled in, and did I ever get completely settled in? I don't know, but I do tell this story in the book, which I probably tell in one of my other books, about being in, having breakfast with the sensei, as we called him then, 
and you know, I was getting ready to go to Japan. I was trying to find the best monastery, the one that had. I didn't want to go all the way over there if they didn't really emphasize sitting. If they had all mostly ceremonies, and uh, I was working on that for a while. And he, we were having breakfast, and he pointed to his cups on the wall, and he said, "If you try to find the best cup, you will not appreciate any of them." So I was really into spiritual bypassing. I, I, I hadn't learned the term yet. I learned the term from my friend John Wellwood at Naropa in 1980, I think. But um, mm. no. so that's that's what we have to pay. I think we have to pay attention to in the first phase is not trying to move, not trying to bypass all the crud that's inside, because we have to have to open up to it and make peace with it if we're going to really live lively. Mm. Did you uh, uh, go to Japan? I never did. So the story is that I listened to him and I thought, oh, here he goes again. You know, he never really said that much to me, but he did. He said these things and I, I always questioned his English. But then I went home and I thought about it for a day and I decided not to go. I decided to stay with him. And someone asked him, was I still going to Japan? He said, I don't think so. <laughs> so that, yeah. that was the end of that. That was yeah. That. Well, there was there was one temple in Japan that was for you, if that was your your idea, and oh. that would have been on Taiji. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember. I I remember the name, and I don't remember. It's you know, this was the late sixties. I don't remember if on Taiji was on the list then or not. I don't know. No. Yeah, uh, you probably would have ended up there if you'd have gone to a regular Soto place. You 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 would not have liked it. Uh, they're training yeah. they're, they're training time? monks to take over temples yeah. and stuff and so. And Taiji, yeah. uh, they they didn't have. So I don't know if they had any ceremony. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. and, uh, it was, you know, founded by Kota Sawaki and then Uchiyama was the teacher there. And, um, so there've been a lot of good teachers come out of, uh, so that, that's that. the one that, is, is that, that must, that is the lineage Hokomura is in, right? Yeah. I think so. I'm pretty sure. You know, who yeah, he is? Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's part one of my book. And I, I also talk about the broken peace places in us as being the places where we can open. Um, because they're broken, we we can open. If we're, if we're humble, but not fake humble, I mean really humble, we can open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then should I go on to part two? Hey, just keep going, man. I'm all ears. Okay, part two. Part two is stumbling toward enlightenment. And that's the hard work phase. Um, And, um, you know, I have have five sections in which I talk about different things that we need to do in our practice. The first section I talk about the friending the five hindrances, uh, greed, restlessness and worry, lethargy and boredom, doubt, 
and aversion, anger, and hatred, and say that we can befriend these. We can open up to them. Now, sometimes they're, they, they overcome us so much that we need to narrow, but we, we can, and Shikon tells us, really, we can open up to them by looking closely at the emotion and recognizing, this I'm quoting from the book, by looking closely at the emotion and recognizing how it intensifies what thoughts or sensations come up, we can trace it toward, toward its root, but this isn't intellectual. This is something we need to do. Need to, you know, so it sounds intellectual, but I, if it is, we just we don't do it. And that's the first one, mm-hmm. uh, befriending the five hindrances. So the five hindrances as portals, portals to opening up, portals to uh, enlightenment, because enlightenment is opening up. Uh, and the second portal is that I talk about in the book is bringing the aggregates into view. So, uh, well, most of your list. Wait, yeah, wait a minute. What, what are the five hindrances again? Craving and greed, restless and worry, lethargy and boredom, doubt, aversion, angry, and hatred. Yeah. And uh, sometimes they'll be too overwhelming to really open up to them. But then we can come back to our breathing or back to a mantra or something uh, for a while. We need to do that sometimes. Sometimes we do need to narrow. But basically, it's the, to, we need at some point, we need to open. Or if we're going to open beyond the limits of little Tim or little David. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So the second one, uh, bringing the aggregates into view. You know, this is an ancient Buddhist practice, and it's and it's this in the Heart Sutra, but bringing uh, uh, the five aggregates into view, and uh, uh, the five aggregates being um, making contact through form, uh, sensation, perception, impulse, and consciousness. And the problem is that the first four are all right now. They're all right now, in the now. Fifth one, consciousness takes over and wraps the other four into some kind of tight ball. So there's, so it's just planning and worrying and thinking and not paying attention to the contact, to the sensation, to the feeling, to the impulse. And you know, when Suzuki years ago, you probably remember this, when he brought Charlotte Silver in, right? Yeah. Remember that, David? Yeah. Uh, that's all or, about. That's all. That's, yeah. It's all about bypassing, the, uh, at least in early Buddhism, what's known as consciousness and coming back to your senses, um, and not to negate consciousness, but a consciousness that just wants to take over the whole thing with its worrying and planning and remembering and regretting and rehearsing and remembering. <laughs> So here I say, here's a quote from my book, we continually have to shed those conditioned ideas like a naga, a naga, that's a serpent. Um, Buddha was protected by a naga. Uh, you, you maybe remember those images of him being protected by a naga. Nagarjuna is the, uh, Nagarjuna, the, the primary proponent philosophically of the Prajnaparamita Sutra is named after the Nagas. And uh, uh, he. And this is about shedding skins. Each time we shed a skin, 
we're taking a risk, but if we really shed it, we feel more alive. And we're shedding beliefs and memories that give us comfort and security in a time of confusion or loss or depression. So we shouldn't force the, the shedding, but it, through our practice, the shedding just happens and we become a Naga. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Like, like Nagarjuna, who was the, I don't know, I think, I see called the, I can't remember what he's called, the Serpent King or something like that. Hmm. So, Hmm. Hmm. You know yeah. what a naga? Not uh, you know naga is used here. Is there's Sanskrit, of course, in Hinduism and Buddhism. Uh, yeah. Do, yeah. And, but uh, where you hear naga here a lot is naga fruit, uh, which is a dragon oh. fruit, uh, which is oh. a, a red fruit that maybe has a scaly, I guess, a sort of scaly type skin. But it's, oh, yeah. yeah, they're really good. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so when this is, this is very fascinating. When, when Buddhism came to China from India, the serpent turned into a dragon because they already had their dragons and they were esteemed. So, uh, and they didn't look particularly like snakes. So the serpent, the serpent became a dragon in, in Chinese Buddhism. <laughs> well, it's definitely so not, thought of as a dragon here. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting, huh? Interesting. Yeah, of course, uh, it, 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 it was Buddhist before it was Hindu. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a fascinating country. Is it, it Where you live, is it touristy or is it not too touristy? Sort of in between. Uh, we sort of live in huh. between. We live on uh-huh. the edge of the uh, touristy uh, expat south. Uh, uh-huh. On the edge of Dimpasar, the yeah. big city, uh, uh, no, near, near a beach. Oh, I see. Is your wife uh, much younger than you? No. Well, yeah. Well, she's, you, as you, she's, as you guys uh, get older. She's three. She's two and a half years younger, something like yeah, that. As you guys get older, do you have good medical, pretty good medical service there? Yeah. Yeah. You do? Oh, yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it um, you know, Medicare is really good in America. Uh, yeah. If, if you're older, so uh, you know, but it's so convenient here, and uh, we have national insurance here. I gave up my Medicare B finally after realizing oh, I was oh. paying thousands of dollars oh. for insurance I couldn't use. Uh, oh. And uh, so they gave me a few hundred more. Uh, Every month from <laughs> I get three hundred and forty dollars right. a month from Social Security, but we have national oh. insurance. Uh, wow, we, we just wow. got it. It just opened up to us, uh, and uh, but we would only use that uh, in some really important uh, oh, or something yeah. really important because your normal costs are so low. Uh, that it's not worth it. I mean, we can walk to the newest hospital in Bonn, oh, yeah. and a doctor's visit is seven dollars. Wow! Uh, and Uh-oh. you Uh-oh. know, I, I had a I had a hernia operation with the, you know, all modern, uh, private room, uh, like oh, hotel wow. service, and the whole thing cost a thousand dollars. 
Wow, I see you're in the right place. Yeah. For your, for your declining years. Yeah, right. Uh, and, uh, but that's true in a, in a number of countries. It depends. There's generally, uh, I mean, a lot of people feel it's better not to have insurance if you're in a place like this. I mean, the national insurance is good. It costs, it costs us, uh, uh, about twenty dollars a month for both of us, uh, but um, uh, and it can cover everything on something serious. So we'll see. Uh, and uh, uh, anyway, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, shall I get back to that? Yeah, no, get I'm back to that. Talk. I distracted you I, there. Yeah. Oh no, no. I, I like to talk with you. <laughs> um, so. Uh, this is part two, stumbling toward enlightenment. And first, I uh, I talk about bef- uh, befriending the five hindrances and seeing them as portals. Then I talk about bringing the five aggregates into view um, and shedding skins as we do that. Uh, then I have a chapter on mantras, gatas, and malas. And... Uh, you may remember, I don't talk about this in the book, I don't think. I may talk about it in the book, that Suzuki didn't really use those things, but then he gave me this mantra to repeat, gate, gate, when I was having a really hard time at Tassahara. Right. And, uh, uh, and then I guess he started giving it to other people, too. So uh, that was that's interesting, isn't it? Who else because did he give it to? What, what? I don't know, I just... I just heard a rumor that other people. No, I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, that, I, I, I think it was rather unusual. Uh, oh. But it uh-huh. it it, uh, it was a good call, right? <laughs> it was a great call. Yeah, it helped me focus at a time that I was, I was, I was just focusing, 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 and perspiring, 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 and it was get it was becoming just overwhelming. And, then he said, he said to me, you're swimming in the ocean. Go change your clothes. And when you come back, I'm going to give you a mantra. And I thought, what the fuck, a mantra? <laughs> this isn't, isn't TM. <laughs> but then he told me to repeat, got, got, got. Of course, of course I could do that. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, well, should I repeat the whole thing? Gate, gate, para, gate, para, some gate, or just gate, 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 gate. And he said, oh, the whole thing, but they're all the same, whether you do one or all of them. <laughs> so you so did, you just, did gate, gate, para, gate, para, some yeah. gate, bodhisattva. Yeah, did I'm you not, do bodhisattva? No, he didn't give me that to do. No. Just no, got day, got day, but got day, but it's I'm yeah, got but, but you know, then I had the incredible Bodhisattva experience, <laughs> but only after I'd been probably repeating that mantra like a fool for you know twenty hours. I don't know, fifteen, twenty hours. <laughs> anyway, so I've got a chapter. I don't probably don't talk much about that. You know, I don't like to advertise myself. But I have a chapter on mantras, gatas, and malas to help us stay present so we can uh, sometimes we need tools. And I just gave a talk at our Zen Center on using malas uh, and uh, how that gives you a tactile 
uh, a component. Um, and uh, a lot of people are starting to use them now at our Zen Center because they need the tactile component to help their mind just settle down. Huh. huh. And, yeah. and then I, and I, yeah, and I also talk about the difference between a mantra and a gata, a gata being situational, um, and, uh, related to, you know, now, now I wash my face. You know, we used to have gatas all over Minneapolis Sun Center. I don't know what happened to them. You know, one in the, one where you would wash your face, one where you'd go to the toilet, and we had a, uh, yeah, that was from Kadagiri. Kadagiri must have been into it. You know? Yeah, uh, well, we had them in Tassara, but people didn't necessarily did use them. Oh. You know, the one we used there, uh, the people would use would be the bath gotha. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I used uh-huh. to know that, uh-huh. but it was really easy to say it fast. I, oh, I can't uh-huh. remember it right now. I bet if I do, it'll just all come out. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Well, you did... We didn't do gotchas there the first year, I don't think. It was probably that was. I was only I was only at Tassajara, you know, the first year. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I uh yeah. yeah I I I got all the gotchas. I did one for going to sleep, and I and I uh, I, you know, I worked on the translation of them with uh, oh. Chino oh. and Suzuki and Yoshimura. Oh, oh really? Uh, oh really? Uh, oh anyway, so. Yeah, well, good. I didn't even realize that. I could have put that in the in the chapter, but it's too late now. <laughs> uh, and um, so, uh, you know, another thing is uh, Richard Baker was really into malas. Man, when, when he was running Zen Center, you know, when he was there, uh, all the in crowd would would have these malas, and uh, they were really into you know robes and malas and. Uh, accruptments oh. and things, but the malas—it yeah. uh, wasn't just yeah, him. It wasn't just him. Go ahead. Yeah, that's all. Oh, I don't remember Suzuki or Tim. Where are you? You broke up there. You know? Start over with I remember Suzuki. So you, yeah, I'm. Oh yeah, I was you're using malas or even recommending them. Do you? Uh, oh, I don't remember anybody ever recommending one. I just remember them using them. Oh yeah, I see. Okay. Anyway, so those are the. Uh, the different things I talk about, uh, but the, no, there are a couple other things that I talk about. Um, let's see. I, oh, I talk about meditation, of course, as a, and I talk about, you know, focus meditation and bare awareness, closing and opening, closing and opening. And then a little bit about Shikantaza, too, relaxing into don't know mind, um, where we're just, we're just, or just Katagiri used to call it stupid zaza. <laughs> and <laughs> Wainang calls it Wainang calls it sitting like a dunce. <laughs> ah. I've just been teaching Wainang. He doesn't say much about sitting meditation except that we should practice sitting like a dunce. <laughs> you know, that's in the eight that's in the eighth century he's saying that. <laughs> mm. So I talk about meditation. 
Then I have a chapter on nature because nature, you well, you know how nature helps us uh, move beyond our either or thinking. And I, I quote John Muir, you know, I grew up in California where John Muir and all those trails in the Sierras, there were John Muir books. And I quote John Muir, between any two pine trees, there is a door leading to a new way of life. Um, Ooh, that's great. That's yeah. Really yeah. good. Yeah. And I quote a Chinese monk from the ninth century saying, where do I enter the path? And the teacher saying, do you hear the sound of the stream? Yes, enter there. So I talk about wildness, how when we let go of our maps and just open up to the, to the wildness, then we can, as Dogen says, fully enter the mountains um, and fully enter the swamps because we, the, sometimes they're the swamps. The swamps are the mountains. He says there are mountains hidden in mountains. There are mountains hidden in swamps. And that's certainly true. But the great freedom of letting the map go, just letting it go. Mm. Although sometimes it's very scary, but but once we're ready for it, that's that's how we really enlighten ourselves and all beings. And we can use lots of maps, but once we need to learn to let them go and come back to just the natural way of life in nature. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I found the bath gotha. Here. I oh, got, yeah? na- okay. Now that I look at it, I I remember it. Mokioka shintai token shujo shinjin mukunai kogetsu. That's all. Oh. It's bathing oh, so it's- this body, bathing the body. May all living beings wash body and mind free from dust, pure and shining within and without. Oh, uh, so those that, those mala, those gods come from Japan, right? Well, they probably come from China. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I'm just not. I just had. I did some research, but I didn't realize they were so endemic. In Zen and Japan and probably China too. You know, oh yeah. Here, I mean, other than Suzuki, the only person, only other person who who did this back then that I knew, although Suzuki didn't do it much, was Thich Nhat Hanh. You know, he did it. He yeah. He, you know, he he was into Gautas. Yeah, yeah. Uh... But well, you're saying that lots of the Japanese teachers were, I think. I didn't realize that. Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know uh-huh. that. I just know there are uh-huh. some and that I used yeah. them. Uh, yeah. uh, there's uh, one for going to sleep, the bath. There's one for shaving your head, bell uh, yeah, ringing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah well. Yeah, well, oh, they had well, chap for everything. Um, well, I well I should have talked to you before I wrote this chapter, but anyway. <laughs> no, no, it's better just to write about what you know, and and yeah, not not, yeah. You know, not do any research yeah. because yeah. information is endless, you know. Yeah, that's right. Especially <laughs> with AI, do you, have you have you tried AI yet? You know what I'm using AI for. Uh, that I'm aware of 
is um uh um i'll take i'll take this um the recording of this and uh i'll 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 uh, trans uh, i'll um, transcribe it with ai uh and oh, it, really? it's not it it's a really good transcription and i can transcribe uh, both of us are i can i can just transcribe yours uh like i just had a talk with ed brown and i i i didn't want to hear what i had to say i didn't want to read what i had to say i just wanted to go over what he said i mean i transcribed both of them with the ai but uh i made one of just his track and so i could just see what he had to say you know uh and uh it it's really helped me i've just started it recently uh Oh. To, now to get it ready to put online, it, it's, it's, um, uh, I, I think, um, it'd be nice to wait a little while for it to evolve more and it's evolving very fast. It's going to evolve too fast. Uh, but, um, uh, it's really good for now rather than going over it and, and listening and, uh, I can read it. And I can say, oh, I'll cut all this stuff out that I, mainly I just cut stuff out I say, you know. Oh, oh uh, that's cool that you can do that. That's great. And who knows what it's going to be like in a couple of years, huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think uh, it, it can be very dangerous. Uh, I know. I know. And, uh, but um, look, there's so many dangers from so many different directions now. Yeah. Uh, there's political dangers, there's climate danger, which sort of trumps everything. There's nuclear war danger, which sort of trumps everything. Uh, there's AI danger, uh, you know, uh, who knows what's going to happen. Well, I think, I think climate change is the biggest trump card myself but what do i know that's what i think well yeah i agree with you unless there's a big accidental nuclear war (laughs) oh yeah uh which we're on the brink of all the time and people don't realize it uh and um but yeah climate change seems to me uh uh pretty much uh is the end of the game uh, but yeah. uh, maybe people will figure out what to do. It doesn't look like uh, the human race is uh, uh, making uh, the, uh, good enough effort. Uh, yeah, to... that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does, the, does the government in Bali believe in it? <laughs> well, everybody, well, people believe oh, in it. People the, believe oh, in Trump, it. Trump's uh, people don't believe well, in it. Well, no, no, that's right. That's why I stopped. Many people... Uh, don't buy into it or believe in it. But the important thing it, well, it, it is um, what are we doing about it? Uh, yeah, even right. people who believe in it uh, yeah. know it and understand what a threat is uh, yeah. aren't, aren't making the changes that are necessary. Yeah. But individual changes at this point are uh, just like um, feel-good stuff. It's, it's yeah, it needs right. massive change at the yeah. government by governments and big yeah. business and military. Oh, that's right. And, that's right. 
I, I, it's just not happening. Um, but, um, I think it's good for us to do what we can, uh, you know, uh, regardless of how hopeless it looks. And as you know, uh, there's a bigger picture in which everything's all right. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to keep. I'm going to get back here to doing. Yeah, this, uh, yeah. Pardon so me. I, I just, I, I, I just keep. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I'm interested. Throwing obstacles yeah, in your way. <laughs> no, no, you don't. <laughs> An obstacle is a portal. That's one of the themes of my book. Hey, there you go. <laughs> really? Yeah. One of the themes of my one of the themes of my life. An obstacle is a portal. Yeah, I may not feel it at the time, but later I realize. Oh, oh I agree with you. <laughs> oh, I really agree with you. And I'd say failure is a portal, and um, yeah. regrets yeah. are a portal. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, go on. Let's hear it. So uh, then I talk a little about neuroplasticity. You know, I'm a psychologist, and I talk about how we con we contract around what we know. But uh, to, to stumble into wakefulness, to stumble toward enlightenment, we have to just loosen up and, and we have a natural neuroplasticity if we just notice when we're contracting contracting around what we know and just breathe through it and, and open up and let it settle. And that neuroplasticity brings brings the splinters and the fragmentation that we're hiding forward. And uh, we have a chance to open up to whole being Buddha nature. And that brings me to part three, which is falling awake. Um, and part three, I start by saying the harder we push, the more the walls harden that, that keep us <laughs> separate, that keep us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, any of us who's practiced for a long time or we practice with difficulty notice that. Uh, but at some point, uh, when the mind gets exhausted, it just gives up and the boundaries dissolve. And then, as Dogen says, we're enlightened by all things. And we, we always were enlightened by all things, but we were so caught in protecting ourselves that we didn't feel it. Mm. So that's that's my first uh, chapter on falling awake. Then my second chapter is penetrating dualistic thinking. And, uh, you know, uh, prof- I don't talk about this much in the book, but uh, depression is, is and anxiety are very, uh, that's deep dualistic thinking. Uh, I can never, never, things will never get better. I can never improve. I can never be successful. I always fuck up. That's dual. That's radical dualistic thinking. But if we can penetrate that, uh, if we can collapse the dichotomy between suffering and joy, uh, and I call that dancing with Nagarjuna's tetralemma. Uh, so this tetralemma is uh, um, my uh, right now. I'm in pain, uh, and that's the first. Uh, step and the second step is um, the fact that I'm talking to you means that I'm also not in pain 
and I, I'm actually not in pain, but but just to do, I'm just pretending. Right now I'm in pain. I say with my student when my student's in pain, but you're talking to me. You're not in pain. And then I say, and then can you move on to the third step in the tetralemma, being both in pain and not in pain? And then Nagarjuna to complete the tetralemma says to be to let go, of being both in pain and uh, not in pain, and just. Just be, just let it all go. So I call that dancing with Nagarjuna's tetralemma. And I actually, no, wait, 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 practice. wait, wait. In the fourth yeah. one, being neither in pain nor not in pain. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's letting go. That's letting go of the third one, though. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, no, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And so I teach that, and I teach that with movement sometimes. I'm not a, not a, a machine, obviously, but I I taught a, a kind of a workshop on a, last year, and I had people move you know, from one to one spot to another to another to another, and they got a sense of this in their bodies. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's penetrating dualistic thinking. You know, uh, this pandemic has been really hard for my students. Uh, there's so many of them have gone into profound profound or rigid or asphyxiating almost dualistic thing. It's been so hard. Well, that in a combination with, with the politics, very hard time. I don't remember such a hard time before. Um, you know, people say the 60s wasn't that hard a time. It just wasn't. No. We were naive. The yeah. 60s, well, it was bad because there was war, horrible war yeah. going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it was a wonderful time. Yeah, it uh, was. It was. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> uh, so anyway, penetrating dualistic thinking is my tenth chapter. Wait, then I, I want to stay with this a little. Okay. Uh, first, sure. I want to ask you, you. You talk about your students and your group. What? What's the name of your group? Where is it? Uh, uh, it's the Minnesota Zen Meditation Center. It's here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm no longer the guiding teacher. I'm the I'm a senior teacher now because I'm <laughs> of my advanced age. But I have a lot of students, and I'm going to ordain a couple more, three more people soon. Although I'm not doing it anymore. After I said I can't do this after 80 because you know I'm like Biden. I'm going to be hanging around at 86, giving people Dharma transmission. <laughs> oh, be, that'll be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, Minnesota Zen Meditation Center, where where you know David, I've been for years, years and years and years. Uh, you know, Eric Storley and I together uh, were here at this. Meditation Center in 19... Well, I came down to a retreat that I uh, actually... Pro- I talked about that in something that I sent you that Katagiri led in about 72 or 73. So, And then we moved here in 75 the same time they... You remember the building. We, we bought the building in 75. Oh, yeah. So sure. that's, a long, that's a long time. And, you know, my within has been a little bit willy-nilly. You know, I just did other stuff and left Zen Center for a while and came back and worked with a Native American shaman for a while and good stuff, but other stuff. Mm -hmm. 
How was the, sh- the, the shaman? My, How was working with the shaman? Yeah, yeah, his name was. Yeah, yeah, his name. Oh, wonderful. Although he didn't have, I wouldn't say that he had the depth and breadth that Suzuki had, but it was still wonderful. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. and you know, I don't think Katagiri did either. Now, I know some people will really disagree with me about that, but maybe that's because I was a young man and. Suzuki charmed me, but he also had a, such a huge influence on me, even in my dreams, you know, that, jeez, wow, turn turned my life around completely. Yeah. And, of course, I know a lot of people say that about Suzuki, but as you know, he was my teacher in 1964 when there were hardly any of us, and so... He only did these really short dokusans, but it didn't matter because, you know, we were there together. I lived across the street, and I opened the group in Palo Alto that he wanted me to do. So, you know, I was lucky. I was lucky. Did you feel like you had access to him? Oh, maybe you did. He liked you a lot. Yeah, maybe you did. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, but, I, you know, I was, if I wanted to talk to him, I just went and talked to him. I didn't wait and. Uh, and, you know, it was very hard for a lot of people to see him as Zen Center got bigger. Uh, oh, yeah. I'd just yeah. go over and talk to him. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, people, yeah, he got to be a big deal, and then people were afraid to just do what you and I did, which is kind of saying. Right. Sensei. Uh, <laughs> I know, well, it probably wouldn't have worked if everybody had been like us. Then he would yeah. have been. <laughs> people yeah. were thoughtful and oh I don't want to bother him and uh, I'll let other people yeah. see him rather than me yeah, but I didn't yeah. take up a lot yeah. of his time you know uh-huh. I know he didn't want to uh-huh. really didn't want to talk much uh, yeah, that's, that's right that's <laughs> right yeah okay so then I when I talk about uh, penetrating dualistic thinking I also talk about Dogen's one bright pearl as hey, wait, metaphor. wait, wait. Yeah. Before you leave dualistic thinking, are you still on dualistic thinking? Yeah, right. yeah. All right, because uh, I want you to define it. I want you to tell us what it is. Oh, well, dualistic thinking is anytime we just get caught by a concept or an emotion, or because an emotion and a concept go together. That's dualistic, because each concept and each emotion, uh, if we open up the whole being Buddha nature, it includes its opposite, and we can feel that, and we don't have to get stuck on it. So dualistic thinking is just getting caught, even getting caught in the fact that I'm a Zen teacher, that I just turned 80. I'm not sure I've just turned 80, but also... You know, I'm not 80, you know, I'm both 80 and not 80, and neither 80 nor 80, well, you know, but dualistic thinking doesn't take Nagarjuna's whole tetralemma, it just focuses on one, and we get stuck on that one. Well, then why is it called dual, which means two? Why isn't it called monolistic thinking? Uh, good point. Good point. I don't know. That's the literature, and that's what Suzuki Roshi said, you know. He said, and I'm paraphrasing it. Here. He said, actually, you. he said, uh, we do uh, a Hinayana practice with a Mahayana attitude. So Yeah, that's right. I, 
And that's I my version of that is we do a dualistic practice with a non-dualistic attitude. <laughs> yeah. um, his idea of Hinayana practice are and they should not have used that word. Uh, yeah. Theravada practice or practice yeah, of the yeah, elders yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, is not. The idea that the most of the Theravadans I know have, which are they get pretty literal. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was non-literal. <laughs> yeah. He was non. Yeah, he was non-literal about everything, even the precepts. Oh yeah. The first first time he talked to us about the precepts, I don't say it was the first time he did it, but when I was there, was he said uh, we got to the point where he said. Uh, uh, do not get intoxicated. And he said, yes, do not get intoxicated by my teaching or anybody's teaching. <laughs> yeah, right. There you, right. There you go. There you go. That uh, was always his approach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, non-dualistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So, all right. Well, that's so pretty anyway, good. Um, and, uh, let me let me tell you one thing. He gave. Uh, sure. uh, we talk about dualistic thinking. You know, one thing I think of is uh, the six patriarchs' admonition to his uh, all his disciples who were gathered around him as he was uh, waning away and about to uh, pass from this uh, earthly realm. He said, "Look, it's easy." <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. All, all you have to do, he says, everything's divided up into opposites. Everything's opposites. You know, there's 68 or whatever he said, pairs of opposites. Yeah. And yeah. when you, when you, uh, when you deal with your student, they're going to be attached to one side of some pair of opposites. All you have to do is go to the other side. Just keep knocking them exactly. off. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. that he was talking yeah. about dualistic thinking, and then once, yeah. Yeah, once yeah. in a lecture, uh, Suzuki uh, uh, said was talking about this sort of thing, and he said, "All right, let's divide up uh, all the people on the right side of the partition. You speak from the point of view of the first principle, and all the people, <laughs> are you ask a question." From first principle, all people on the left, uh, you, uh, uh, from the second principle. And the first principle, you could say, is like uh, the absolute, and the second principle yeah, yeah, is form yeah. or whatever. Uh, and um, it was very hard for us to uh, <laughs> to uh, succeed in that. Uh, <laughs> that was wonderful. I heard that. It wasn't while I was around, but I heard it. Yeah, yeah. I must have made an impression on more more than you. <laughs> uh, uh, no. So, all right, one bright yeah, pearl. Yeah, anyway, then I, yeah, one bright pearl. So Dogen says, you know, everything is one bright pearl. He gets this from a, the China originally. Uh, you know, dogs and cats are one bright pearl. The sun and moon is one bright pearl. Every. And he goes on and on. The grasses are one bright pearl. And when I teach about it, I say, yes. And and it's that sand that's in the oyster that you want to kick out. But 
with your practice, if you really want to penetrate dualistic thinking, you've got to just breathe with that sound. You've just got to be with it and open to it, and that's your one bright pearl. <laughs> I don't know thing I talk about that in this book, but I did talk about one bright pearl in this book. Uh, uh, now, when you say the sand, what you're referring to, it's a little grain of sand that creates the yeah. pearl in the that's, oyster. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you want to kick it out, but our, you know, our determined effort is just to stay with it and be with it and until it opens up and 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 it becomes translucent and our 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 life becomes translucent. Mm. And of course, if we expect that, it doesn't happen. That's why we just. Just practice, practice, practice. At least that's what I tell my students. <laughs> and of course, I've, and I don't mean I don't, still don't do it myself, but you know, I am more relaxed these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, know, you were I, when I, when I, you were talking about when you had the mantra. You know, I remember that you were very intense. Yeah, uh, you yeah, were very yeah, right. serious. Uh, yeah, yeah, and. and uh, <laughs> One, uh, you know, we had the meal chant. I would yeah, a yeah. long chant, man. We we'd chant more than we ate. We'd spend more time chanting, and and yeah, yeah. And, and, and during the meal, the meal could go on for an hour, and we just have you know a few <laughs> minutes to eat. Uh, but yeah, yeah, uh, anyway, yeah. it's the way it seemed. But what in and that got, chant? That there's one food. point at which we say, uh, uh, let's see now. Something like "May my practice what? deserve it." What does it say? Uh, we we need to consider if our virtue and practice deserve it. That's right. We and need at that to consider point, if our. <laughs> at that point, one day, I remember you decided that your virtue and practice didn't deserve it, so uh, you wouldn't receive any food. You might even have just closed up your Oreoki. And you wouldn't eat. So uh, at that rate, you were going to starve yourself to death because your practice and virtue didn't deserve the food. But somehow you lived. Uh, but I remember so that. So I, I want to tell you a story about that. We've had that in our meal chant at, here at our Zen Center for all these years. I wanted to take it out because so many of my people are down on themselves. And I thought, God, they don't need that. Right. Uh, and I and I struggled, and finally, the guy who was my former student, Ted O'Toole, just two weeks ago, took it out. <laughs> oh, so really? I'm going to be leading our session on the weekend, and that's not going to be in there. <laughs> huh. Huh. Wow, people are so down on themselves. No kidding. Yeah. I don't know. Were we that down on ourselves? I don't. I don't remember. Hmm. Well. So. I, yeah. Um, well, there's always some. I think some element of that. Uh, uh, but that's a lot to think about. Uh, now, I'll. I'll. Uh, you know how. How right now I'm thinking. Well, how universal is that? Uh, how how much of that is cultural in America? Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I start thinking yeah. about 
Are people here as down on themselves, people in America? Uh Nah, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, American psychologists call this the negativity bias. And really, it's only been in the United States they've done the research. But there's there's a a lot of research on the self-negativity bias. Yeah. So then you... Then you hear there's no self, and you and you just it just makes the bias worse. Yeah, yeah. Well, people get confused about that, and when they say there's no self, that they, uh, they get too absolute and grab yeah. hold of it and uh, see one side of it, right? And it, it's sort of superficial. Incidentally, that uh, uh, yeah. the first yeah. time I came to Bali was in '92. Yeah. And there was a group of um, Japanese um, sociologists here. Oh, not a group. There were a few, very few. Uh-huh. And um, they were studying uh, why people here are so relaxed compared to Japan. Oh. Right? And they were studying uh-huh. Nepal uh-huh. and Bali. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, they thought... Uh, they wanted uh-huh. to try to help their fellow countrymen <laughs> not be so uh, uh, uptight, uh-huh. you know. I-, I thought that was interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, well, maybe they need uh, oh, to have animals. Anywhere? Huh? What? Did that go anywhere? Did oh, I doubt it. Most, conclusion? Well, most of our efforts oh. and studies don't go anywhere. Yeah, uh, our, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. uh, but one thing I thought uh, recently, I thought, well, Nepal and Bali are, are the two countries in the world that have the most animal sacrifice. And if uh, oh. if uh, oh. Japan, well, yeah, people aren't aware of that. If Japan was um, uh, wanted to be relaxed uh, as people here in Nepal, maybe they ought to start sacrificing animals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bad Buddhism. <laughs> bad Buddhism. <laughs> yeah, I was just talking to somebody that said, you know, all, all these chickens that have been sacrificed, they get dumped in the stream near his home, uh, oh. smell it up in the middle of the night, they're gone. Oh. But um, oh, I think it's being reduced. Uh, uh-huh. I, I was hearing stories uh, that were that were about what was happening at the time when we got here, about all the the uh, you know cattle, uh, you know cows and uh, other animals being pushed off boats, uh, you know being weighted down, uh, and. Uh, you know, I, do. Oh, oh. I, I, I don't know what they had in mind. I know one woman I've uh, uh, has gone to some Vipassana retreats. I've gone to. She's a doctor, and her her father built this hospital, and uh, her mother founded a school, and she has a home between the two. And so she has important ceremonies, Hindu ceremonies, to uh, where she has an important role. 
where they'll sacrifice chickens and stuff, and she doesn't like it. She oh, said, yeah. But if they don't do it, uh, like if they're building something and you don't sacrifice, then oh. if something bad happens, everybody will blame you for not doing it. I, I see. So it's so sort it's of not a good place. Well, of course, there aren't too many good places in the world that's good to be a chicken. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I was, so, well, you know, the chicken is the most successful animal in the world uh, from the point of view of oh, of oh. Uh, reproduction of uh, of you know the oh, yeah. chicken, the dog, and the cat because they got people. To reproduce them, uh, whereas uh, the wolf uh, people, you know, wipe out. Oh. Uh, so the 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 dog oh, is true. far superior to the wolf in terms of uh, survival, uh, and it's just a a wolf, you know, has been bred by bred in different uh, yeah. ways. Yeah. Well, the dog the dog knew how to do skillful means with humans. Yeah, you know, no kidding. How to, you know how to do a upaya with, with humans. <laughs> oh, no kidding. They developed uh, facial expressions that make people melt and stuff. Uh, right. Yeah, we're just putty in their hands. Uh, and chickens, you know, one of, one of the uh, signs of the Anthropocene, the, the new geological era, is chicken bones. Beaches of oh. chicken bones. Oh, oh. Uh, oh, no, I see. Uh, they, they, you know, they're worn down. Uh, wow. Uh, but uh, chicken bones are a major uh, ge geological, I guess you'd call it, oh. Uh, oh. Uh, mar sign that human beings have added oh. to the world. Oh, it, interesting. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, please well, continue well, with One Bright Pearl yeah, here. So, yeah, so that's about enough for One Bright Pearl. Then uh, I have two more chapters, one on the Paramitas, the new attitude uh, toward the Paramitas, uh, which is non-dualistic and can help us fall away. And I go through each of the Paramitas, and I first I define a para uh, as beyond and mita as that which goes beyond paramita the gone beyond so there's generosity but if it's going to be if it's going to be uh help us fall away we need to be generous to our stinginess and generous to other people's stinginess because that's non-dual and people are stingy because they're afraid we're stingy because we're afraid and so and I go through each of the six ethical behavior, not a code, uh, but a, a manifestation of all being Buddha nature, like our interconnection, inner being with all life. So if we do it as a code. That's that's not that's not very helpful. It's not it's it's, it's not very helpful. Doesn't mean that we should take advantage of people, but if we really open up. We feel connected to others, and we don't want to take advantage of them. And that's the, mm. the inner being that Thich Nhat Hanh talks about all the time. He takes, uh, you know, emptiness. He uses the term inner being so often. He's a tendon co-origination. He uses inner, inner being 
which is just an easier word for Americans to get. Um, um, the, the How do you spell it? Are you there? Uh, you know, I am there being. Spell it. And G. No, no, no. Spell inner being. I N. I've lost you. you. I'm not hearing anything. That's what I'm spelling. Inner being. Inter. Inter right. being. Oh, I N T E R. Am I gone? Yeah, well, you've been cutting out. But uh, it'll go away. Right. Uh, yeah. So you're saying interbeing, so, uh, so I-N-T-E-R being. Yeah, that's right. Enter. And you, oh, wait a minute. Hey, Tim, I think I should know, call. Tim, I think I should call you back if because yeah. you're just. Oh, okay. Uh, our. It might go away, but there's just been these blank spaces recently. When we were talking about okay. inner being. Oh, hang up. Yeah, okay. and I'll call you right back. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm going to call you back. Okay. Hello? All right, well, here we are again. We'll see how this okay, works. Okay, yeah. Okay, I was just looking for my Skype name. I don't know where it is. Um, uh, well, yeah. Uh, no matter. Anyway. Uh, yeah, okay. Okay. Well, I only have, a, I, we're kind of toward the end of the book now. Hey, uh, you should backtrack. This... You should backtrack oh, a little. Okay, because... we're in the, we're in the falling away, the third part of the book. After yeah. we've done the hard work, we've been in the rock tumbler. I, I do talk about that in the book, really. Being in a sangha, being with a teacher is like being in a rock tumbler. And uh, if it doesn't smooth our edges, we're not going to fall away. But if it smooths our, our edges, we're ready to ready to fall away. And so then we can penetrate dualistic thinking, rigid thinking of either or, which really brings us down. I mean, people who are stuck at one side or the other always are, are down on themselves or others. And that's why we, when I talk about one bright pearl and Dogen saying, you need that piece of sand in there. Dogen didn't say that. I'm the one who says that. Yeah, right. He said one bright pearl. And I say, yeah. And uh, then uh, inner being. Uh, I bring up inner being and I bring it up uh, it's a word that Thich Nhat Hanh uses a lot when he's trying to explain emptiness, because people people get stuck on emptiness, but he just explains uh, pretty clearly. But um, it, but it's it's pretty clear all all emptiness means is that everything is contingent on everything else. Mm -hmm. And since everything is contingent on everything else, it's all inner being. So we don't have to get into this negative emptiness mode. It's all positive. It's just one flow of life where everything is penetrating everything else. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty wonderful, don't you think? Yeah, and I think it's important to point out 
that you're saying I-N-T-E-R being, because a person could easily think you're saying I-N-N-E-R being. Oh, inner being, I see. Yeah, see, yeah, they sound yeah, almost yeah. the same. They're just this little t, yeah. t-, t- sound there, right. inner being. Right, right. And, of course, I don't talk about this in the book, but there's there, that's the Buddhist definition of emptiness. The Taoist definition is a little different because it's all about emptying your mind. Uh, and that Suzuki talks about that. But Nagarjuna says that belief in emptiness or in emptying your mind is just as, just as limited a belief as any other belief. So get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... And the Taoists would say back to him, we're just being evocative, Nagarjuna. Don't be such a literalist. <laughs> we're uh-huh. just painting a picture. That's uh-huh. uh-huh. nice. Anyway, uh-huh. I, uh, I, I do talk. I don't know if I talk about that in the book. I talk about that all the time <clears throat> because emptiness is so hard for Americans. Mm. Mm. It yeah. may not be hard for Balinese, but it's hard for Americans. <laughs> well, they don't talk about emptiness here. <laughs> I see. They're animists. Yeah, just, People I'm, here are animists. Oh, yeah. Well, animus is fullness, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, uh, but they have, you know, they, they talk about, uh, mainly they just sort of do their thing, you know? Yeah. And they, oh, yeah. They make offerings and do ceremonies and. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm going to a very special ceremony tonight. Uh, oh. Uh, it's a, well, I don't know if it's a, yeah, sort of. It's at a temple. It's it's uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how many foreigners are there. It's oh. um, it's uh, uh-huh. dr- drama gong and gong is a word uh, for uh, gamelan, uh, the music oh. here. It's a Balinese word. Oh. And drama gong oh. is, uh, and there's, uh, there's another word for it, not drama, but they can understand drama gong. It's the a gamelan with um, a, a dramatic uh, component, you know, uh, play, uh-huh. acting out something. So I'll see what it is. A friend of mine's been uh-huh. here. 50 years, and he takes me to these oh, more esoteric things. Oh, uh, that's, that's cool. But, you oh, know, cool. any, any, you know, and they say, oh, yeah, they, they love Buddhism. But, you know, when I look into their Buddhism, it's just, you know, Buddhism, a reincarnation of Vishnu. And, you know, I, I just like sitting and uh, so oh, yeah. most of what yeah. people think of as religion and and everything is so, is to me. I, I just uh, I look at it as sort of cultural, uh, like an anthropologist. I go, oh, that's interesting. Uh, well, you know, a lot of people would say that about San Francisco Zen Center too, wouldn't they? Uh, <laughs> people say uh, different things. Well, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, not they wouldn't say that about, uh, as you said, the uh, Untaiji lineage, but. Uh, all of the forms and rituals and cultural overlay at San Francisco Zen Center, they, they would say that. Huh. Uh, uh, yeah, that's it, true. It, 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 uh, I, I do think it's ripe for a, a good anthropological, uh, and, huh. uh, a sociological study.
Uh-huh. Yeah, no. we should uh, sick a team of uh, social scientists <laughs> on it. <laughs> <laughs> no. On all of us. Uh, no. it, 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 I do think about that, actually. Uh, this is not the first time uh, because of the emphasis on uh, uh, sort of catering to the the uh, latest um, concerns of their clientele. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, uh, and it's yeah. sort of... Uh, sort of, uh, I, I heard some people talking recently, uh, actually Bill Maher had some guests that were talking about how universities now, the, uh, students are like customers. And so, uh, uh, they have to cater to their customers and, um, uh, the, the students are having so much more to say about, uh, What's happening, and, and the universities have become very sensitive to the winds of change of, uh, you know, what's appropriate and not, and what's politically yeah. correct yeah. and not, and Zen yeah. centers like that. But I don't know if that's avoidable, you know, for an institution. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, yeah. 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 Well, our Zen centers doing some of that too. Um, you know, it's happening all over the United States right now. Yeah. In the in the in the liberal enclaves, in the what we would yeah, in the liberal enclaves. Right. Well, and, the, mean, and me and yeah. meanwhile, the red the red state people are just aghast. So the the division. Talk about duality. Wow. Yeah. The division but, between the two groups more than in the sixties. More than in the sixties. Oh yeah, it's true. As enormous. Well, um, it, it, you know, each side has their, uh, the things they want to censor and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, but I don't know. Of course, it's more complex than that. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, uh, worried about the future of, uh, well, each, America. Each side. Each side should get a dose of Nagarjuna's tetralemma. <laughs> yeah. They should be, be required to dance the tetralemma. Yeah. <laughs> and, and red people would have to dance with blue people. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. Ha <laughs> Yeah. Well, Kurt Vonnegut had a solution long ago. Um, uh, God, how long ago was that? Uh, that he wrote uh, before he was, uh, you know, back like when Cat's Cradle came out, back in then he wrote a, it might have been before it, I don't know, 50 years ago or something. Uh, he wrote um, a, it was a, a short piece, like an essay on how uh, we should divide up the the world and assign everybody. It was, I think it was a number like one through ten, oh. and randomly you oh. get a one through ten, and then that's your group, that's your tribe, you know, <laughs> and you meet with those people, and, and then you get prejudiced against the twos, you get prejudiced against yeah. the sevens, yeah. and you know what the yeah. sevens, yeah. what they're like, that you know, yeah, yeah. and don't ever I, hire I, I, one I, of them. I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember that. I didn't, yeah, I remember that one. That one bypassed me. Yeah, well, if my daughter marries uh, a seven, 
you know, then that's it. I'm disowning her. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, anyway, I'm talking, this is next to last chapter. I'm talking about um, uh, a new attitude toward the paramitas, you know, focusing on generosity in a narrow way. You know, we're all trying to be more generous than the other person, and it's kind of fake. But if we can really open up to our our stinginess and other people's stinginess, ethical behavior is fake if we just do the rules. We got to, and patience, we got to be, that's the third paramita, patient with our impatience. Mm. <laughs> really, patient with our impatience. Mm. And the fourth one, effort, virya. Um, you know, Suzuki's comment, a good bonfire burns itself completely away. So we don't have to make a special effort. We just give ourselves to it and forget about effort. The bonfire burns. So then I talk about the fifth one, meditation. And I say meditation, as I've been talking about during the whole book, we open ourselves to the hidden parts, to the to the scary parts. We don't try to be deeply concentrated and we, we will become concentrated but we don't try to meditate that's, and of course that's good so them, you know the way Dogen says uh, the Zazen I teach is not meditation um, that's, that's good so to them um, yeah. yeah and then Prajna you know, the last one wisdom uh, Prajna not Jnana so jnana, you know, is the deep knowledge that comes from Shariputra, J-N-A-N-A. But Prajna, Avalokiteshvara, tells him about that. And Prajna, P-R-A in Sanskrit, before. So before knowledge, before we divide the world up into those who know and don't know, that's the wisdom Prajna. So that's the wisdom of just, and which embraces stupidity. Which doesn't try to, you know, be anybody special. Mm. Just like, just like Suzuki was most of the time. Uh, I'm, I know he wasn't like that all the time, but much of the time. Much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I remember his barber son to me. I remember saying to his barber son in San Francisco, "It was the, I didn't know the other son. I never met the other son. But uh, was the barber son named Otohiro? I think that's he was right. Otohiro. That's right. Yeah. The other sense is Dharma or Hoichu. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember saying to Otohiro, oh, your father, what a wonderful man. He said, that man, not father I grew up with. And you talk about that in Crooked Cucumber. Yeah. <laughs> you talk, yeah, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Otohiro is very sweet. He was a barber in the he, army. Oh, was he? Is he still around? Oh yeah. Well, uh, as far as I know, uh, uh, yeah, he, he uh, um, yeah, he's very sweet. His wife's very sweet. He he worked for uh, Japan Airlines a lot, and and then uh, well, uh, had a tour company for Japanese. He might still. Oh really. Yeah, oh, really? so Japanese come oh, over, they take them oh, around. So he, so he moved he beyond just being a barber, it sounds like. Uh, that was just something he did when he was very young. Uh, oh, yeah? And oh, I know he was I a see. barber in the Army. Uh, 
And um, oh, he was a barber in San Francisco when I first met him. You know. Oh, is that right? Oh, well, that. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh. I'm sure. Oh, that's I'm sure great. he was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, about. Yeah. Oh. Huh. Maybe I should call him yeah. up. You know, the best thing to do with him is uh, interview him in Japanese. Get, uh, uh, do you speak Japanese? Well, I used to uh, have enough to interview how long somebody. Did you, how, long did you, how long did you live in Japan, David? Four years. But I studied Japanese oh, yeah. a lot before I went there. But uh, I was good enough to interview people, but uh, not good enough to understand everything they said when they were answering. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. But... Um, Anyway, Otto Harris, uh, I really like him. He's a very sweet guy. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Anyway, so I talk about these six paramitas in a more non dualistic way. And then I quote uh, Dogen taking the backward step and say we're always glued to the foreground. And instead, let's just, let's just enjoy the background. Let's just enjoy it and not be glued to the foreground. Let's take the backward step together and, mm. and look at these, look at these different opportunities that seem like hindrances as portals to help us open up, open up beyond our ideas of who, who we are and who we should be and who we have been. Um, and then I talk about the Heart Sutra at the very end with its Bodhisvaha leading to that, um, having denied everything. And, you know, it's weird. I don't talk about this in the book, but it's weird that we've all been chanting this heart sutra for so much, so long a time. <clears throat> what it's negating is those beliefs of the first 400 years of Buddhism, which are not even our beliefs. <laughs> if we were to negate, if you and I and Eric Starley were to sit down and write everything we believe, and then every day negate them in the morning in a chant form. That would be the modern version of the Heart Sutra. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, it wasn't really negating them. Uh, it was saying they were empty. Uh, it well, it, was, does say, it, it does say no, 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 not, you know, no eyes, no ears, no nose, no tongue, no body, yeah. no mind. It does <laughs> well, but but it it it's saying uh, that all that it's empty of uh, self nature. Uh, of course, but it, but on the surface it doesn't look like it's saying no, that no, it's no. Well, you know that that everybody gotten too attached and was being too literal, and literalism yeah. to me is the disease of uh, religion. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's at, right. And, uh, you know, it's a big problem and, and, uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, so he was dealing with literalism. Uh, the, the, the great, uh, uh, Christian, uh, writer, uh, uh known as Pseudo Dionysus or Pseudo Dionysus. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who was an anonymous monk. Uh, somewhere in Syria and like oh I actually I actually don't know him no, the fourth century no. well he did the same thing with uh, Christianity uh, oh, I see and uh, yeah look it up 
the mystical theolo- oh. theology of pseudo Dionysus, uh, and it's exactly it what same, he does. Is it, the, is it the same spelling of Dionysus as the uh, as the Greek Dionysus, the Greek god? Yeah. Uh, oh. Well, it might be a little different. I mean, uh, oh. but okay. it's very easy. Just go, just write mystical theology. I've got it on cute.com. And oh. and see his his trip was first you affirm everything, so uh-huh. you affirm it's the names of God. He's affirming all the names of God from the highest to the lowest. So oh, yeah. it starts off uh-huh. a, a God is omniscient or whatever. God is yeah. great. God is good. And he goes down to you know yeah. God's angry. God's drunk. Uh, and. <laughs> And then, then he says, and then you go back up from the bottom to the top, negating it all. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And so he says, it is not, uh, it is not truth. It is not, uh, and he didn't really use the word God. It's a first cause. It is not, uh, it is not kingship. It is not, uh, Name it is not. Yeah, I don't know. I can't right. remember. Anyway, it's great. Oh, I love it. I love it. I read it every so year. He's a, he, he's a Christian mystic in Greece. Yeah, he's a recognized saint in the Catholic Church, and he's he's the oh. he's the most uh, inspiring person to like Meister Eckhart and Thomas Aquinas. Oh yeah. And, oh, I see. Uh, oh, of course, I I know them some. Well, is he? He does he in danger of getting excommunicated, like Master Eckhart almost did. No. Back then. Oh, you know, almost. Most people don't realize it was almost. Uh, they did excommunicate him. I mean, he was found guilty, but it wasn't. It wasn't, um, and the Pope couldn't stand him uh, because he said uh, all beings are uh, are nothing. Uh, just yeah, pure, yeah, pure yeah, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. but, uh, uh, but when the, uh, Meister Eckhart Society in England uh, petitioned, uh, the, the, uh, Catholic Church to reinstate him, uh, and, and they said there's no record of him being excommunicated. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, let me, let me close because it's getting late here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to put uh, you to for sleep. An, <laughs> for an eight-year-old, for an eight-year-old. Uh, <laughs> so I'm flaunting my age. You know, I've been 80 for three days, and I'm having fun flaunting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think, I think it's good to have fun with it. I think what's bad is to be telling yourself, now I'm 80. Uh, I'm going to be uh, old and tired and sick and whatever, you know. Yeah, well, I, that's, that's bad programming. Of that, of that, yeah, instead of that, a few people, I had a little birthday party, and a few people missed it, and I said, they apologize. I said, oh, I said that's okay. You can come to my 90th. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. So, uh, you know, having, having done all of that, all of those, Activities that help us fall into wakefulness, then we're uh, then we're ready for. Uh, uh, well, the, I think the first part of the Heart Sutra really is endarkment, which is an enter into enli- entering into enlightenment, and 
Um, but we dive both of that in darkened first. Mm. That's what pseudo-DNSis says, too. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Good. Definitely. Good. Good. I wonder why I never, I know I read Matt Meister Eckhart over the years, and uh, there must be books about him, huh? Uh, You know, the best thing is just to read his mystical theology. It's very short. I mean, you can read the whole thing in 10 minutes, uh, 15 minutes. Yeah, you can get a, a big book. I mean, he does all sorts of things. He, he he explains what angels are and all the different types and, you know, what the uh, highest and lowest. And it, he has all sorts of stuff. But when you get into his mystical theology, that's really, uh, that's the, the, um, oh, I'll tell you that the, the, the two key things he says I love to remember. One, uh, one, it's, I think it's all uh, le- le- letters to his brother Timothy, and one oh. thing he says is, um, uh, um, "Don't don't even bother trying to talk about this stuff to those who oh. can only see things in terms of individual being." Ah, oh. uh-huh. it's just lost cause. Yeah. And he said, yeah. but even worse than that are those who describe the highest in terms of the lowest. And that's literalism. Uh, that's literalism, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Good. Well, that's interesting. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. So there's, I just want to end with a story, which is in, so I don't remember if it's in this book, but I, I did a podcast yesterday, and I think it's in this book. This is the second podcast I've done. Uh, I did one for, uh, oh, I don't know, what is it? Uh, Lion's Roar yesterday. Yeah. Oh, that'll hit a lot of people. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I think I'll, I'll tell Barry to to do one with you. Uh, he gets a lot of people, too. See, I don't uh, promote uh, or advertise uh. it. I just do it. It's just a record. Um, oh, I see. I, I need you'll my. Tell, you'll tell who? You'll tell who? Barry. Uh, I can't remember his last name now. He's really good. Oh, uh, oh okay. he does, that would be great. Yeah, and I, I, I tell you another person I uh, would suggest uh, is um, John Joseph uh, from the Pacific Zen Institute. He does really good ones. Oh, I don't know him. Would you mind sending me an email with all those names? Uh, yeah. Unless you're, unless you're willing with the first, and if you're willing to just contact one of those. No, no, it'd be be better for me to contact them. I'll do it right away. Oh, oh, Uh, great. Cool. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me tell you a bedtime story. And I know for you, it's a morning, a wake up story, but it sounds like you're already awake. What time do you wake up? I got up at five 30 this morning, but right now it's 10. 10.23. Oh, yeah. Oh, you get up early. Oh. Well, I got up early. I get up somewhere between oh. 4 and oh. 8. <laughs> oh, Usually more like 6 to 7. Oh, I see. But just yeah, when, well, so when I, I wake love, up. I, I'd yeah. love to, I would love to be on one or two, one or both of those podcasts. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. I want to tell you my bed, my bedtime story. All right. Uh, so 
when I was nine years old, so my parents used to take me into the mountains and the Sierras every year, every summer. My dad was a hiker. You know, I grew up in Palo Alto and would go into the Sierras. Well, when I was nine, they took me up. We were up at staying at a, at a kind of camp at 10,000 feet. And my dad got this idea that my mom and he and I would con- would climb this 14,000-foot peak, Mount Langley. Uh, and um, so we got up before dawn and we went. We, I, I was into it, actually, even at nine. I was into the mountains even then. And, uh, you know, we started up and, and, and we had a good map and we had trail guides and it was all, all good. And I could follow the trail and I could see how many miles I had to go on the map and where the curves were. And I was kind of a map kid. And then, uh, kind of, I was getting really tired and we got up to Timberline and all of a sudden, there were no maps and all of a sudden there were no signs and there were just rocks (laughs) and uh it was totally disorienting for me and uh my mother would walk ahead of me uh and she would then stop when i would cry and go be too far behind and just wait for me patiently and then keep walking and i just it was an ordeal that i didn't like at all but i didn't have any choice and I just stayed with it. I stayed with it. I stayed with it. And then, uh, 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 you know, I was exhausted, but I kept, kept doing it. I kept doing it. And then I got, finally got to the top and, and I had kind of a, a nine year old enlightenment experience of thinking, wow, you know, and my mother wanted, and this is beautiful. This is wonderful. And I didn't have, I let go of all of my judging. All of my kind of how far is this, you know, how, where are we on the map? But I didn't even care about the map. And I remember my mother telling me I should sign my name because I was nine years old. And she wondered how many nine-year-olds had done this. And I just laughed. I just laughed because I had, I had let go of all those maps in my mind and just was able to be there. So that's my nine-year-old enlightenment experience. <laughs> ah, that's good. I like that. That's really good. Well, hey, remind us of uh, the name of this book you've been talking about the whole time. It's called Enlightenment is an Accident, Ancient Wisdom and Practices to Make You Accident Prone. Yeah, well, I think you've uh, done a really good job uh, uh, with uh talking about it, but also uh, using that title, which we dealt with a lot in the past. I think it makes a lot of yeah. sense uh, for this book. Um, and uh, look, it, it, this is your third book? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I'm working on my fourth. <laughs> All right. Tell me, tell me what's your uh, first and second. Uh Nothing holy about it. Uh, that's the first one. I don't remember what the subtitle is. And the second one is Zen in the Age of Anxiety. Um, and nothing holy about it, you know, refers to that statement by Bodhidharma. Right. <clears throat> right. When the nothing emperor holy about it. 
the emperor asked yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. what's the first principle of your holy teaching? Uh-huh. A vast emptiness with nothing holy about. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And eight, and the and the second book. Uh, Zen in the age of anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and now we have uh, enlightenment is an accident. Yeah, uh, and, I didn't. Uh, enough anxiety. <laughs> right, right. And what's your fourth one going to be? Uh, well, it's going to be something about dualism and non-dualism, and something about you know uh, Suzuki's again paraphrasing Suzuki uh, and using language that's not pejorative. We do dualistic practices with a non-dualistic attitude, something along those lines. And I'm going to go back and trace the early yogas, I think. It's going to be a little more historical, maybe. I don't know. Uh, if I make it, you know. I'm, right now I'm into it, but uh, my my editor, Wanda, is, is uh, she's into it too, but... She's not that much younger than I am, so we'll see. But anyway, we're having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, looking forward to that one. Uh, thanks for coming out with this one. And, uh, yeah, and thanks for continuing uh, to blaze the the trail of uh, practice. Uh, oh, I'm – you're – <laughs> you're very welcome. It's just my pleasure to be able to do this. Yeah. So, uh, before we go, I want to ask you how Ed Brown's doing. You know, I, I, we were, we were kind of friends years and years ago. You know, I went in the, in 1965, 1966, I used to give him a ride to uh, San Francisco State every day. So, you know, I was, and his, I was better friends with his brother, Dwight Brown. Did you ever know Dwight Brown? Yeah. No, I was better friends with Dwight. How is Ed? Uh, he, he's doing good. He's, um, uh, you know, he's got a home in Fairfax. Uh, Where's that? Where's Fairfax? Near Oakland? Fair, no. Fair, Near Mill Valley? Fairfax. Near Mill Valley? I think Larkspur. No, well, no Fairfax. Oh, Fairfax. Fair, Oh. I'm looking at the map. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's Fairfax. Oh, um, On the way from San, San Rafael uh, oh, yeah. to the oh, yeah. to the ocean, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. He's got a home Fairfax. there. Good. It's a very oh, nice yeah. But he lives more in Philo with a community there that uh, oh, support see. him and uh, that practice. Oh, really? Him. Yeah. Oh, uh, but I don't know cool. the details. I just talked to him for a long talk recently. Uh, hey, oh, yeah. before you go, uh, uh, you you first came to uh, uh, Tassajara uh, before the first practice period, or did you just show up for it, or what? I just Linda and I came uh, the week before it started. Yeah, yeah. you I, were you already there? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. I, there I were some people in, who were already there. Yeah, I came in like March. Uh, oh yeah, no, we were there. We were there. We started. We got down there the week before it started. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I loved it. 
Uh, it was great. Mm. That, that was a, that was a terrific period before the first practice period. <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, there was oh, like yeah. up to twelve of us, uh, and it, oh, yeah. it was just neat. Uh, things were oh, starting yeah. to f- form. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. is there? Do you do you remember anything that's that you, and you, you were there? So you were there for the first practice period. Which was, I sure was two months, uh, the yeah. part one and part two. Do you, do you remember yeah. my Zoomy being there and sort of leading the first one? I, I, yeah, I do. And I'm going to tell you a story about my Zoomy, but I would rather you not write it down. Um, uh, so uh, uh, you remember I had this big enlightenment experience at Tassajara and I had it when my Zoomy was there. Right, and you had it right away, I, the first session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, I went back to San Francisco. Maizumi was in San Francisco. Oh, no, no, it was still at Tassajara. We were at Tassajara. And after, this was like two or three or four weeks later or something. Maizumi approached me, and I think it was at Tassajara. It could have been at San Francisco and said, oh, you know, you had a good experience. Uh, I've had many experiences like this. Uh, I'm going to be starting a center. Uh, you should come with me. I know how to work with someone like you. Um, and uh, I, I was confused. And I thought, oh, that's, that's interesting. Well, I was a little confused and a little bit seduced, partway seduced. And uh, But I hadn't didn't say anything to... Uh, maybe I did say something to Linda about it. Uh, and then couple days later, uh, in San Francisco, I was with Suzuki, and I don't think he was wrong when Maizumi was talking to me. It's, it's one of those psychic things, I guess. He said uh, to me, he took me aside, and he said, you have a great treasure within you. Someone may try to take it from you. Don't let anybody take it from you. Jeez, what? And so I, I didn't. So I just had nothing to do with Maizumi after that. Isn't that isn't that interesting? Yeah, but don't say don't say uh, don't say that shouldn't be repeated. There's other I have other stories like that about my zooming. Trumpet did the same thing. Oh, Uh, and Suzuki liked Trumpet. It's okay. They're just trying to recruit students. Uh, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, maybe actually, maybe I did. Maybe it's fine to say it. But was Suzuki psychic in that in that instance? Well, you've told other. You've told other things about yeah. Suzuki that were psychic. Yeah. Yes. You said he'd tell you something in a, in a dream, and then you'd go see him, yeah. and then he'd say the exact same thing. Well, that's true. Well, that's true. Yeah. 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 Uh, no. yeah. Uh, so I. So I, again, I stayed with him. I now, mean, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, in fact, you might have told me that before, uh, uh, but. Um, uh, uh, Maizumi tried to get people to come with him, but Trungpa did it. When he came to Zen Center, he would, oh, right, yeah. right away, he was saying, why don't you come practice with me? And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> and a, a number of people did. And, you know, Suzuki didn't mind that because he felt that, uh-huh. uh, Trungpa could, uh, you know, was younger and could handle more people and, uh, I see. Well, uh, evidently, he didn't feel that, that way about Maizumi. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, 
but uh, in time, uh, uh, he 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 matured and and uh, uh, it, it, right, yeah. right there at, at, at that pivotal time in the sixty six sixty seven. Uh, he was trying to get something going. He he wanted to be part of the San Francisco Zen Center. He wanted his oh, group to be affiliated, and Suzuki oh, wouldn't do it. And Dick Baker was really down on him. Uh, and, I remember but, that. I yeah. remember Dick telling me to watch out for that guy. He uh, said that guy was in his house and he stole an orange. <laughs> I mean, that's what he said about Maizumi. He stole an orange. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, I, 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 I've stayed. I, I went down to L.A. some and stayed with my Zoomy, and oh, I would talk uh-huh. with him, and I would talk with him through the years, and you know, uh, uh-huh. he, he evolved. Uh, he, uh, uh-huh. he matured much more nicely, but he always had problems. But the, the great thing about him, or one of the great things about him, is he, he, he wasn't really hypocritical. He would confess his problems. Uh, uh, you know, he would, you know, he would talk to his students about how he was oh. an alcoholic and cry. Oh, uh, and oh I see. Oh, I see. Oh. He, he had a problem with that all his life. And he, oh. he'd sort of fluctuate, uh, between, uh, arrogance and humility. Uh, I see. Uh, oh, you got to know him well. I didn't know him that well. Huh? Uh, and uh, anyway, I think it's very interesting. And uh, um, the the Cimarron Zen Center, I've stayed there. Uh, no, no, that's ah. Sasaki. Uh, the the uh, oh, yeah. uh, my group, whatever it was called. Oh, yeah. I, re- I really enjoyed have enjoyed staying there. Uh, oh, like yeah. the uh-huh. people, uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. you know, uh, the the various flaws that teachers have. I think. Uh, you know they're fun to talk about, and I certainly uh, 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 r- record them. And uh, I, if you read what I've got on my Zoomy, I have a long piece oh, on yeah. him on oh, cute yeah. well, com. I, I tell more than that. Uh, and well, you can add about you can add that he was an orange stealer, uh, an orange <laughs> thief. Right? This is really serious. Um, so listen. I remember your experience, and I remember it being in the Zendo, uh, the, the 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 you know our our Zendo that burned down eventually, but the first session was in the uh, the dining room, uh, mm. the, the very first one. That happened at the end of the first month, and that's the one where my Zumi was. So maybe, I'm your your thing happened so early on. I'm almost I'm wondering if it happened during Tangario or what. Uh, No, this was I don't know. I'm now I'm just a little bit uh, confused about what you say. I think that that experience I had was late. And that's second month. So he, he he wasn't around then. I don't know. I don't know. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, years. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, yeah. The um, you know uh, memory uh, in you know sort of morphs and 
but yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, do you remember anything else um, that stands out about? Because I'm writing about that now, so I'm just trying to see if there's any anything uh, any highlight or about about what. About I'm writing what? about Tassahara at that time. Oh, well, let's see. Uh, actually, I any the... any <laughs> any memory you have of Tassahara that stands out doesn't have to be Dharma uh, or anything. Uh, uh, well, I do remember when we we used to have these study groups, and um, <clears throat> that was and uh, Suzuki was. Uh, wasn't there and he came in one day while we were having our study group and he and he said oh at first he hadn't wanted to come in because he was enjoying the outside didn't want to come in with us and then he said i had a good time and and then i then i also remember and you may remember this david that that we had some kind of a some kind of a sort of a party at Tassahara at night and Suzuki pulled like a an aluminum uh I don't know aluminum or tinfoil kind of pan and he was flashing the pan in front of a, or the the square aluminum in front of the lights he was making a light show <laughs> yeah I very I very clearly remember him making that light show in our Whatever we were doing in that party with the lights dimmed or something, I don't know. Oh, oh I'm going to tell. Yeah. Go on. Oh, I'm going to tell. Oh, that's all for that one. But I, then there's one other story that I want to tell you uh, from way back then. So uh, this is not during the summer. This was later in that year <clears throat> when it was getting colder. Um, uh, you know, we had those work meetings every morning, and and me and a couple of friends would say, uh, and that was before, when we didn't have the electricity at night, he would talk and we could just see his, you know, there'd be the lanterns, remember that? Yeah. Just the lanterns. And and we would say to each other, was that a man speaking last night or was that a woman? And we would sometimes say, hey, oh, it seemed like it was a woman and then a man. You know, that was, nobody knew anything about you know, he, she, they, or, or you know, gender fluidity. But there we were, just kind of in awe of him and wondering. That was very interesting. Very interesting. When you say we, who? Um, oh, I don't remember. You, maybe me. Maybe me and I don't know who it would have been. Uh, who you know, one of one of you guys, one or two of you guys. I don't know who. Uh huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, oh. mm, mm. Yeah, so that was the light, the light show and the, the gender fluidity, two things I remember. Yeah. Ha, ha, that's cool. Um, I think your your light show uh, was maybe after the practice period. There was a, a oh yeah, I'm sure there, it was. There yeah. was a party in late December when most people had left, and he was there. It was like oh yeah. And and he wore a lampshade oh, yeah. on his head. I wasn't there. I've just heard oh, yeah. about it. Oh yeah, that. Uh, oh, I don't remember him with a lampshade on his head. I remember him with this large aluminum kind of thing, or he was making a light show. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. There weren't many of them. 
Okay, well, uh, uh, I appreciate that. And, um, uh, all right. Well, I'll, I'll make the, I'll send those emails and I'll, I'll let you know what's happening with that. And, uh, um, you, you take care. It's been fun. We've, we've been, uh, we've been talking now for two hours and, uh, oh, I know, uh, I know. My, my 14 wife minutes. I'm supposed to do the, and I'm supposed to do the dishes here, so I, I got to get to work. <laughs> yeah. All right. Very good. Uh, okay. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Good night. Yeah. Oh, well, good morning. <laughs> yeah, good night. Good morning. Yeah. It was great talking to you, uh, Tim. Take care. Uh, great talking with you. Bye bye. Bye bye. So thank you very much, Tim Burkett. I appreciate that. Uh, really good to hear what you had to say. Always good to talk with you. And um, until we meet again, this is DC Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives coming to you from Sleepy Sonora with Doggy Bandita, Vilan Cuchita, and dear lovely Katrinka. Oh, no, not Vilan Cuchita. I forget. We have lost her. I just said that for a few years. Uh, she's deep in the garden now. And we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand. And that airplane's wishing you, too, a grand. Awakening. Thank you.